0: Whether membership at a local church is as eternal as being part of the body of Christ. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the Earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Walk the Earth is a spinoff podcast from Inappropriate Conversations, and the episodes can be found on the Inappropriate Conversations feed at www.inappropriateconversations.org. The Walk the Earth episodes will simply start numerically with WTE1, And move from there. My family is changing churches. We may be changing denominations, too. This does not reflect any shift in our religious experience, but it may reflect a change in the church itself. It certainly reflects a change in the church that we've left, and we are trying to manage the transition and still find a way to be faithful Christ followers. Walk the Earth is an attempt to chronicle this transition. Now, a couple of things about that I think I need to state right up front. This really isn't going to be a journal of uh, church visit to church visit on a week-to-week basis. Walk the Earth will come out less frequently than Inappropriate Conversations, so it might translate into something of a monthly podcast. I'm forecasting the first year out have episodes planned roughly 16, but it's safe to say that I think that the, the number of Walk the Earth episodes will be somewhere between 13 and 17 a year, This comparing to well over 30 for inappropriate conversations. I can't guarantee that the Walk the Earth episodes won't step on the timing for inappropriate conversations a little bit, but I also can't guarantee that it'll be the same audience, so it may not matter. The things in my life that make intentionally the inappropriate conversation schedule somewhat sporadic, well those same factors are going to make the Walk the Earth podcast sporadic as well, so I'm going to try to make the two of them blend together. Having started off with some housekeeping notes, I think I need to begin with this very first topic and kind of give us a feel for what it's going to be like just by dealing with this question. Every Walk the Earth episode will begin with a question and worded in a way that seriously pays homage or borrows in some degree from Thomas Aquinas and the approach he used in Summa Theologica. The question itself is the end of that though there won't be a lot of uh, reply objections or I answer that or on the contraries. It's just enough to put a question out there and deal with it. Because again, I don't intend to be looking in a week to week basis or even on a monthly basis with here's the churches we visited and here's what happened there. That's not of interest to anyone who doesn't live in my local area. And for that reason, I'm not going to be naming names in terms of naming specific churches. However, I feel it is pretty important to name denominations, especially as I'm making an evaluation on whether to make a denominational shift. You see, when I was born, I was christened in the Roman Catholic Church, and for the parts of my life that I can remember, say age four or so on, I attended both the United Methodist Church and the Roman Catholic Church for a period of years, not just months, When it came time to reach the age of making a decision on whether to pursue some sort of altar boy course of education in the Roman Catholic Church, it really was necessary for both my parents and for me to make a decision as to which church I was going to go to. Was I going to remain a United Methodist? Was I going to go down the Roman Catholic route? Because this idea of doing both was going to fade away. Now, logistically, it was never an issue. On those days that we would go to the Catholic Church, it would typically be Saturday, late afternoon, early evening. And the United Methodist Church experience was always Sunday, first thing in the morning. So there wasn't an overlap or a conflict from the calendar perspective, but there was perhaps about to be a conflict theologically, or at least a conflict in which one of these two church experiences was going to win out, because at some point, one of the two was going to demand 100% of my attention. The youth group experience at the United Methodist Church ultimately is what carried the day for me, and that's the direction that I went in. And I've been a United Methodist ever since. And I suspect that no matter what happens in this transition that Walk the Earth will be discussing at a high level, I suspect on many levels I'm going to remain United Methodist in terms of my theology and in terms of my outlook on social justice. But what do you do when the church itself, when the nuts and bolts, you know, sitting in the pews on Sunday morning experience, is inconsistent with the values of the denomination? At that point, I think it becomes necessary to start asking serious questions once again, and to be very open-minded about making a change. But it's noteworthy that I haven't had to make this kind of a change since I was in elementary school, since I was faced with that moment of saying, hey, I, I can't do both of these churches anymore. I'm going to have to pick one. Which one am I going to pick? So on some level, I feel like There is a part of me that does feel that membership to a church is an eternal sort of thing. That there's a significance to it. That it's important. And part of the reason is the way I was raised. We left whatever church I attended in the city that I was born. I was too young to have any real tangible memories of of that church experience. I don't remember any Sunday school teachers. I can't recall the sanctuary. But the reason we left that church is that we moved out of state. We moved from one state to another six or seven hours away. And that transition obviously is going to force a change in the way you worship. So we moved to a particular side of the town that we lived in, a major, um, major Midwestern city. And that was where I was walking distance from the Catholic Church and bike riding distance from the Methodist Church. And we stayed, I stayed a member of that Methodist Church until such time as my parents moved to the other side of town. Now off the top of my head, I don't know that I can think of whether that's an 8-mile or a 10-mile or 12-mile distance, but it was enough of a distance that the distance is what forced the change in churches. My parents, I think, viewed that it was pretty important that me and maybe my sisters connected with the church that I went to so much because it was close enough to walk to, It's certainly close enough to ride a bike to. So when we switched from one side of town to the other, we found a church close enough to ride the bike to, And there were occasions when I was still riding the bike, when I was too young to drive, and later obviously quick driving distance, and I remained a member of that church until, really, until the time I got married. The transition from uh, being a college student but still officially living at home and still having connections with that church remained. When we got married, we moved into a small city. We weren't really in the first two cities we lived in long enough to develop very strong roots, and we didn't really join another church until the third city we lived in as a married couple. And at that point, we transferred memberships from the two United Methodist churches we'd gone to when we were in high school to the first United Methodist church as adults that we were members of as a family. By that time, kids were on the way. And it wasn't long before our first child was born. And our first child made her first trip to church just days after she was born. And we were members of that church until A change in my job forced a relocation that moved us three or four states away. The gist of it is, we haven't moved out of one church and into another for reasons that weren't driven in some very significant way by geography. In other words, I've been faithful to churches. I've also been faithful to churches and how I pick them. So when we moved to the city that I live in now... We're still going to the same church that we joined when we moved here, but that process was more than a year in the making, probably more than two years in the making. I had a list of churches that I wanted to visit, almost all of them United Methodist churches, and I think my wife found very tedious the process of visiting churches. And I know that's true because I think she still finds quite tedious this process of visiting churches, and yet it's a consensus view between the two of us, really a consensus view across all the members of my family. That it is not just necessary, but critically important, critically, spiritually important, that we make a change. Now, that change, again, for the first time in my life, not driven by relocation. So what does it mean to leave a church that you've pledged your membership to for reasons that aren't about, well, I just don't live there anymore, and instead are about I have serious theological concerns with what's happening, and I no longer feel equipped in the way we worship, in the way we gather, and even in the way we conduct the business of the church. And if that is going to be spiritually deadening, or perhaps to overstate it, just slightly, spiritually poisoning, well, then you have to make a change. But this is the first time in my life that I've been making a change where I'm not looking backward at the church I've left behind and said, man, if only I could still be there. Because the church that we left when we moved to this state Things were vibrant. Things were growing. I was beginning to contribute in ways that I think were very energizing and very you know, strong in my spiritual development. And I was sorry to have left that church and sorry to have left some friends, both at the church and at work, uh, the downside of getting a promotion and making a transition. And realistically, I don't know that my feelings for that church and my feelings for the church of my high school were were that different in terms of how strongly I feel, but there were significant moments in my life, some of them have been chronicled in the Inappropriate Conversations podcast, that happened in moments of prayer inside that church, or even inside the small chapel section of that church. Prayers that I'll remember for as long as I live. Prayers that were game changers. And if you look back even before that, The church of my elementary school, that's really the one I think of. When I think of church and what I hope my children have gotten from church and what I am looking for in a church, in a lot of ways, it goes all the way back to that, which kind of tells a story of a dilution of experience that the spiritual connection I made when I was going through confirmation class and when I was attending worship service with this very close-knit community, a family that wasn't just my own family, but a family drawn from families that are brought together, and families that, frankly, the members of my family who still live in that city are still connected with those same people. That in some ways, every step further away, every move from one church to another has been you know, a step further away from that original experience, and it hasn't been as strong as that original experience. But I wouldn't describe that as a catastrophic difference. No, right now. This year, maybe this year and last year, or to be honest, a slow steady decline over the course of two or three years, this is the point where I can finally look and say, hey, this is not a church I can be a part of anymore. I've got to go. I've got to go and I've got to find what the Lord is telling me to do. So the theme music to walk the earth really comes from a conversation I've had with friends to say, I'm not sure what I'm going to do because I've never left a church this way before. But I feel like I was supposed to look for what I'm missing and not give up until I find it. And the words I was looking for, for that search, for that process of finding a new church, was I've, I've always taken very seriously. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't have the terminology in my head until it just sort of jumped out at me that, of all the ironic places, the dialogue in a key scene from the movie Pulp Fiction kind of jumped at me. I thought, you know what, yeah, I'm, I'm about to tell people that I've worshipped with for a long time, or not tell them that I'm just going to walk the earth, that I'm going to have to look at a lot of different things, not just United Methodist alternatives, where I can jump from one district to another district. And even if I've got concerns at the district level, that I'm just, there's a leadership problem, not just in the church I went to, but in that group of churches, that I'm just a mile or so away from crossing a border and looking at United Methodist churches in a different district. Not enough. I need to branch out further than that. I need to look at different things, some which might frighten me and offend me, and others might hopefully feel like home, feel like home for the first time in a lot of years, and correct some of the issues that I've been having here lately with the church, where the church seems to have forgotten what Jesus did and why it was important, and would prefer to fall back toward a legalism that it can rely on, that there's good people and that there's bad people, and that it's not only okay, but it's expected of Christians to condemn the bad people and overpraise the good people. That is the kind of thing I needed to get away from. But the question that I'm facing now in this introductory show, and these questions really will be just this simple, in fact, fact, almost naively simple. Some of them will look at it and will say, well, why would anybody even ask that question? Isn't it obvious? But in other cases, it might not be so obvious. And this is one where I think the right answer is clear. But I know that I'm struggling with what seems to be a very tempting wrong answer. If you look at my you know past experience with churches, I have been loyal, almost stridently loyal, to the local church I've been a member of. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is that if you perceive that a church that you love enough to join is struggling, it's lost its way, you kind of have an obligation to be an agent of change from within. Anytime my fellow Christians ask me whether it's related to a particular social issue or you know, something that's happening in current events, you know, is this time to leave the church? My answer you know, to the church universal is always going to be no, that this is Christ's church. He died for me. I mean, I hope he died for the person I'm speaking to as well. I hope he died for the people I'm listening to as well. But I know he died for me. I'm not going to walk away from that. If something in the church needs to be fixed, it's my job to stand in and fix it. But it's also my job to understand when I can't fix it, or perhaps when things are beyond repair, this happens. It's a natural law of thermodynamics. Things decay. Things fall apart. To make an odd reference to an old CD by the Roots. Things fall apart. What do you do... When that happens, do you fall apart with it? Or do you find a line in the sand and say, this is the place where I'm going to walk away? And and is that sinful? Is the membership in the local church supposed to be as eternal? Is that promise supposed to be as serious as our relationship with Jesus Christ? I want to share a little bit of the liturgy from the United Methodist Hymnal on Baptism. Because I think that liturgy gives you a sense of why there is a a notion, at least why I have a notion, that this really is that important. If you get to near the end of a baptism, where a child or an adult, because the United Methodist Church doesn't doesn't have a prejudice there, you don't have to be of a certain age, you don't have to qualify. Parents can present a child for baptism just as easily as a a confirmand can volunteer for baptism if they haven't been baptized or a new member who is you know, an adult can be baptized, and baptism can take any number of forms in the United Methodist Church. There can be sprinkling, there can be dunking, there can be... The ritual isn't more important than what the ritual signifies, I guess is the way I would word that. But whether it's a group of parents bringing a child to the church, or whether it's an adult showing up, the same sort of thing happens where that individual, either the parents on the child's behalf, or the individual, makes certain pledges to support the church. And I'll just quickly kind of summarize what some of those pledges are, but then I want to talk about what the congregation says in response to give you a sense of how important it is for the congregation to be engaged, sort of connectedness with the local church. The first thing that gets asked right before the sprinkling of water or the other method of administering baptism is whether the individual who's coming for baptism is rejecting the evil of the world and repenting of sin, whether they're accepting the freedom that God, through the Holy Spirit, gives to resist injustice and stand up for the oppressed, whether they confess that Jesus Christ is Savior and put their trust in him, and whether or not they um, are going to be in union with this church. And from those things, they answer, either I do or I will, depending on the question, and they get baptized. But when that's over, part of the same ceremony, the pastor will typically turn to the church. And at the moment that the newly baptized person is being presented you know, to the congregation, the liturgy goes something like this. As members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? And the answer is, I will. And then the pastor says, members of the household of God, I commend these persons to your love and care. Do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. And if it's read in response call and response way the response from the congregation is this we give thanks for all that god has already given you and we welcome you in christian love as members together with you in the body of christ and in this congregation of the united methodist church we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers our presence our gifts and our service that in everything god may be glorified through jesus christ the god of all grace who has called you to eternal glory in christ establish you and strengthen you by the power of the holy spirit that you may live in grace and peace this promise to faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by prayers presence gifts and service is something i always took very seriously and in fact it's something i consistently called out to people who i felt took took it insufficiently seriously people who decided that they didn't like the music that this new choir director was picking, and therefore they were going to stop giving to the church or stop attending that worship service or other things. I mean, the church that I left, the the best example I can give for it is that at some point, when you start talking about service, we had stopped as a congregation tutoring kids in one of the inner-city missions. We used to serve once or twice a year, sometimes even more than that, dinners, in a church in the inner city that had actually been abandoned, had failed to function as a church, and had turned into a mission, that it was an outreach. That that there would be worship services that would be held there and led by different congregational leaders, or even by a group of people that were functioning there more as missionaries than as local church pastors. But that other churches would come in and serve a meal and sort of support a time of fellowship, create a space where people could eat dinner together, have a free meal. And share in fellowship, give parents an opportunity to find out what the tutoring opportunities at this particular mission were, what other Sunday opportunities there might be, uh, what the food pantry was like, to bring people in who were in the really the most needy part of the city, where a congregation had, had failed completely along the way, perhaps through forces beyond their control, to be able to continue functioning as a church, but functioning nevertheless as a mission. Our church, located several miles north, had always been a very consistent participant in that ministry. And at some point, not just a couple of years ago, but not much longer than a couple of years ago, that just sort of stopped. We were too busy bickering with each other over the sound system or who was on what committee or you know, the budget to have the time or the really truthfully, in some cases, the energy to actually go out and feed hungry people. And I think a lot of us who had a, a really strong, faithful sense that that's the kind of stuff that we're supposed to be doing, that's what Jesus calls us to do. And that Jesus, at the end of the day, doesn't really care what hymn we sang on any given Sunday as long as we sang it worshipfully. But what we found was that far too often people were singing hymns angrily or refusing to sing at all, putting their own personal preferences as a protest and a stumbling block in front of the worship of other people. And that alone, again, the kind of thing that I was willing to stand and fight by being a different example, by trying to do it, you know, the Lord's way, that was one thing. But when we no longer had the bandwidth to go and serve in the inner city, when we no longer were tutoring the way we had, when that had dwindled to the point of maybe just one family doing it, or two at the most, well, then there was something wrong. It became clear that we were probably going to have to cancel vacation Bible school as well. So we had become so inwardly focused that that inwardly focused you know approach had almost imploded upon itself. I can't say whether it actually did implode upon itself, because I didn't leave with a lot of fanfare. I didn't draw a line in the sand. I didn't set down any ultimatums. I simply responded to the Holy Spirit within me saying, You are supposed to be somewhere else. You are no longer supposed to be here. Go find it. Well, is that sinful? I made the same pledges every time somebody joined the church, every time somebody was baptized, to renew my vow to support the church, not just the church universal, but that church, not just the denomination, but that local church, with my prayers, my presence, my gifts, and my service. And I was, in effect, for the first time, for non-geographical reasons, walking away from that. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say when it comes to the question of the church universal? Isn't that where the eternal commitment is? And the local church, you know, that commitment may or may not be temporary. Clearly, in my life, it has been temporary. I'm not going to churches that are several states away just because at one time I was a member there. But should we be moving around in ministry more often than we do? Did Jesus have a vision that we would plant a church, this is the term you often hear used, and stay there? And essentially the, the church model that we've seen for most of my entire lifetime is, you know, build a building, hang out a shingle, invite people to come, and they'll come. And the people who come, you know, maybe they get saved, maybe they don't. But the people who don't come, hey, their fault, we're here, we've we've got a building were open on Sunday morning. And at some point, I may tell an interesting story of what it means to encounter the rare instance where a functioning church actually isn't open on Sunday morning. You see, I believe from experience that the Lord is going to send me where he wants me to go. I think that also means that at times the Lord is going to stop me from going where he doesn't want me to go. And that, again, as described in the film Pulp Fiction, you know, I'm going to keep keep walking until the Lord tells me to stop. I don't personally expect that to be a long time. I feel like I'm a better contributor in a stable way inside a congregation. I think that there are things that I was able to do in the last 10 or so years within the church that I'm just now leaving, where there were some really high watermarks. There were important contributions, and those important contributions can perhaps be made again. Will they be made inside committee work? Well, I've got a warning for the world. Probably not. That is not what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. It's also not what Jesus told his disciples to do. Mark, the Gospel, chapter 6, beginning with verse 7. Jesus called the twelve disciples together and sent them out two by two. He gave them authority over the evil spirits and ordered them don't take anything with you on the trip except a walking stick. No bread. No beggar's bag. No money in your pockets. Wear sandals but don't carry an extra shirt. He also told them, wherever you are welcomed, stay in the house until you leave that place. If you come to a town where people do not welcome you or will not listen to you, leave it and shake the dust off your feet. That will be a warning to them. So they went out and they preached that people should turn away from their sins. They drove out many demons and rubbed olive oil on many sick people and healed them. Mark chapter 6, verses... 7 through 13. This is the vision that Jesus casts for how we ought to do church. We should be healing people. We should be ministering to people. We should be talking with those who will listen, but we do not have an obligation to continue speaking with those who don't want to hear it. If there are truths that need to be told and there are people who will not listen to those truths, and I was hearing things like, I don't care what that Bible says in response to questions of whether or not we were being unchristian in our interactions with each other and have a, had a wrong outlook in the way we were reaching out to the world when you're hearing those answers clearly the gospels tell us that jesus says it's time to shake the dust off your feet and walk to another town now luckily in this modern era we live in a way that walking to another town isn't the burden that it used to be we can get in a car and drive I don't have a problem making a 30-minute trip to a church on Sunday morning because I don't have a problem making an even longer trip to work Monday through Friday. I don't have a problem getting on a plane for work and flying all the way across the country. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about what I'm looking for when I'm making this change, how seriously I take it, both in terms of the consequences to me in my mind of leaving a church I pledged to support because that church was no longer capable of being supported by me, but also what am I finding as I go? What am I seeing when I'm looking at different denominations? What am I doing on those particular Sundays where I experience the very rare thing of not having an obligation, therefore, maybe it's not a big deal if I'm not at church? I can remember when work would take me to conferences and I'd be gone for a Sunday. On a lot of occasions, in my experience as a member of a church, that would require me to make arrangements. I might have been the person who was either the lay speaker reading the scripture during Sunday worship, or maybe the person who was finding those individuals. And I would have to make sure that I had a lineup that was ready, either with the person who was doing the reading, or somebody to back that person up if need be, because I wasn't around to be the backup if I was going to be out of state. But now I'm in a different place. If I wake up this morning and I'm not feeling particularly well and can't make it to church, No one's exactly expecting me to be the one helping serve communion. And that's going to be a very odd thing. Now, will that return? Odds are it probably will. I don't imagine that I've read my last piece of scripture as part of a worship service. I don't imagine that I've held a chalice during communion for the last time in my life. But we'll see what happens when it comes to some of the other intangibles of church membership. Again, will I be part of a finance committee? My guess is the answer is... Almost absolutely not. Will I be a member of a small group like a Sunday school? Perhaps yes, maybe probably yes, but will I lead one? Well, maybe not, or at least not in the same way, aside from the small group that I continue to lead in my home and intend to continue leading in my home because it is a connection point between me and many of the people who've left the church. So to go back to the question just for a moment, whether membership at a local church is as eternal as as being part of the body of Christ? Well, I think the answer to that question is clearly no. That Jesus never intended membership at a local church to be that eternal. He sent his disciples out. He would later send 70 people out. And he expected them to wander. He expected them to reach lots of different people, not just a specific town. But he was also very clear. If you reach a specific town that will not listen to you, that is hostile towards your worldview that isn't loving in response to, well, words of love and grace. You don't have to stay there just because that's a city that you were placed in. God expects us, in some ways, to walk the earth. One final note on this introductory episode. I have not, nor do I ever intend to, pick up the phone and speak to anybody that I worshipped with for all those many years and in any way encourage them to leave the church. Many of the people, most of them in fact, who are part of the small group that I meet with in my home every other week, give or take, have left the church of their own volition and would have left the church even if I had stayed. So I don't feel like I've had any role to play in that. I'm not invested in making people stay at a particular local church, and I'm not invested in getting people to leave, and I'm not right now attending a church where any of those people have gone because I'm wandering. I have wandered into the churches that people in my small group have been to because I feel like that's an important part of this process, and I'm learning things as I go. It is those things that I learn that I intend to share in this show. Now, how is Walk the Earth ultimately going to be different from inappropriate conversations? We're still talking about an audio blog format, and we're still talking about addressing a particular issue. It should be shorter because there's no different drummer, among other things, but the other key difference is that this is not going to be a show that has a lot of politics and popular culture in it. I'm really going to be focusing on some very specific religious, if not theological, questions as I go. And questions that are, of course, informed by this transition in the way I worship. Inappropriate conversations won't change either. It's all about the intersections of politics, religion, popular culture, including sex, drugs, and rock and roll that's not changing. The religion element there should remain the same as I go. The biggest noticeable difference, besides the change in theme music, besides the fact that it's going to start with a question, is that it's going to end with a prayer. I hope that people who have listened to me for any period of time now, some perhaps for more than three years, won't find this off-putting. It's a very rare occasion indeed that an inappropriate conversations podcast would end with a prayer. But this one should. Because theological questions are being asked. And it's important that I be very mindful of the spiritual role of getting those questions answered. Maybe the answers that I'm looking for have come from research I've done before I even turned on a microphone. But I do not want to undersell the possibility that some of those answers may be coming my way after I've hit record. That certainly can happen. The secular expression we use for it is that the Lord works in mysterious ways. I would suggest that those ways are much more mysterious than that cliché could even begin to imply. So if you're of a mindset, please join me in prayer. If not, please indulge me. Because I think that's among the things that are missing in our society, is that we're less willing than we ought to be to allow others to follow their path. Yeah, just like it would be inappropriate for me to have an attitude about anybody who felt that this part of the show on a monthly basis was not for them. It's also, though, really critical for me. Heavenly Father, I believe that I have been sent, and I'm trying to listen for your guidance on this path. It's not hard to find passages in Psalms and Proverbs that remind us that your word is a light to our path and that if we trust you with the plan that you'll guide our steps. And Lord, I'm asking for for nothing more than that. Nothing more special than any disciple has ever been given when sent out. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to find when I get there. I'm looking for something that I know I haven't had in years. And I know... That the path that you've put me on in this world has connected me with people who are pointing me in a different direction. That we have social needs. That the way I've been worshiping is not sufficiently addressed. That we have spiritual needs, where a lot of the majority opinion in the church today seems to have forgotten who you are, Lord Jesus, and what you did on the cross. And we're so quick to cite your apostles like Paul if a word here or a phrase there might be used to bolster a political opinion. But Lord, forgive us for how often we miss the big picture, that you, Jesus, came to give us a message to guide our path. And often your disciples found those words confusing. And Lord, I confess, I find some of the guidance confusing. Should I be going out with a metaphorical sword? Should I have an extra shirt? What does it mean for me to make this journey with just my sandals? Help me to interpret what it is you want so that this walk may be fruitful and it may, be, and it may take me to places where I'm less likely to be shaking dust off my feet and more likely to be learning at the feet of those who I might presume could learn something from my experience. Lord, we're all walking in your path. If we are to be your church, so help me as I make this journey to respect what it means to look at our experience as a church, as the body of Christ, and to see that as eternal, and not to make inappropriate judgments about different parts of the body functioning in different ways. I just need to find what you want from me is it hands? Is it feet? Is it a mouthpiece? Is it just ears to listen? Is it a nose to sniff out things that aren't quite right? Use me, Lord. Use me in ways I don't yet understand. Amen. I feel like I need a quick outro comment, so I'll provide it here before the closing theme music. I don't expect that Walk the Earth is going to have promotional cuts that I put in like I do for inappropriate conversations. I love a lot of other podcasts. I'll promote them over there. I'm also tempted to say that one of the theories that I still embrace from United Methodism that I'm going to carry with me, is a concept that we probably take for granted today as a cliche, but that has long been credited to John Wesley. John Wesley, of course, the father of Methodism, and you know, viewed as the spiritual father of lots of denominations, particularly United Methodism, African Methodist Episcopal, and also Wesleyan. You know, in terms of other congregations that share this legacy of John Wesley. Wesley ultimately is credited as being the author of the phrase, agree to disagree, while offering a eulogy for a Calvinist friend with whom he disagreed about lots of things. In that moment of eulogy, in that moment of mourning a lost friend, he didn't candy coat it. He didn't tell the lies we often tell at the bedside of somebody that he was really a great guy and we agreed with each other on everything. He told it as it was, and he said it using the phrase, hey, for many years, We came to an agreement that we were just going to have to agree to disagree about certain issues. This podcast, above all others I've done, is going to be one of those. I'm going to have some strong opinions. I'm going to have answers to questions that are theological. And it's okay for people to view things differently. It's okay if friends of mine from this church I've left have also left the same church and have gone in a completely different direction, a direction that I'm unwilling to follow. As Wesley said, let's agree. To disagree. What happened this morning, man, I agree. It was peculiar. So but water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next question I intend to face if things go according to schedule, whether the church is a building and the traditions built there.